Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. All right, open your Bibles, if you will, tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'll make you a, a deal tonight. I'll talk fast if you'll listen fast. And then we'll get done fast. Amen? And uh, try to get out at least semi-on time and uh, work through that. Uh, I usually say, you know, every time I hear amen, it cuts five minutes off of the message. And uh, people would say amen, and, and that was wonderful. And I'd get done, and every now and then people would come and say, Pastor, you preached for 40 minutes. You said it was going to cut five minutes off every time we said amen. I said, yeah, but you don't know how long that thing was when it started. So um, we won't be 40 minutes tonight. But uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, as we come to the book of 2 Timothy, probably already you know uh, in your own mind, this is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote, or the last letter that he wrote, that would be uh, recorded as inspired scripture, and that is a, a part of the canon of scripture. And I don't know when Paul wrote this, I don't know if he knew that this was the last one he would write or not. I know that he knew it was one of the last. Because he said, as we're about to read, the time of my departure is at hand. And so he knew that his time on earth was coming to a close. He knew that it was at least towards the end. But whether or not he was thinking, you know, if today's the last letter, or maybe I'll have one more day, I'll send another one tomorrow. I don't know if he knew that this was the final letter or not. I do know, though, that he knew this was the last letter he would ever send to Timothy. And Timothy is is the man who he loves. And I almost wonder, and, and, and in my mind, I try sometimes to picture, and I know it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I also know God works through practical means. And, and I don't know if maybe Paul, I, I just kind of picture him maybe sitting in his prison cell, and, and here he is now, the aged apostle. He's alone, uh, or at least mostly alone now. And uh, he is recognizing that the days of his life are coming to a close. And, and at any moment, he could lose his head to the headsman's axe. And he knows that this time is coming. And I just imagine him maybe sitting and saying, you know, if today is the last letter, who do I send it to? And from a human perspective, perhaps saying, well, of course, it would have to be Timothy. I mean, I mean, I love Timothy. I've invested my life in Timothy like really no one else. And, and of course, his love for him is, is displayed in chapter 1 and verse number 2 when he says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. What a relationship there is between Paul and Timothy. And, and so I imagine him as he sits to write and he thinks these are the last words I'm ever going to say to my dearly beloved son. And he begins to write and he wants to encourage him. 
He wants to challenge him, and he does that throughout the book. He, he wants to uh, it, it help him to stand strong and stand right. And, and so all of these elements that must be flowing through the mind of the Apostle Paul just from a human standpoint of how to help this young man who's now a little older, but in Paul's mind, he's still just his dearly beloved son. So he writes to him with this passion. He writes to him with vigor. He writes to him in a manner to try to help him after Paul is gone. And then he comes down to what we have as chapter 4. It's, it's the concluding part of the book. And he wants to leave him with the final charge that he's ever going to get to give to his son, Timothy. And so with that perspective, he writes to him and he says in chapter 4 and verse number 1, I charge thee. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure as at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. I pray that you would put in my mind and help to come from my mouth, only that which you would have to be said. Lord, anything that you would not want said that I have planned to say tonight, I pray that you would strike it from my mind. I pray that it would truly just be you speaking through me to your people. And Lord, that you would help us to take tonight exactly what you would have for us to take from this service. We love you. We thank you for it. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There was a police officer who was coming along one day and as he was coming along, he saw on the side of the road a wreck. He saw a car that had uh, run headlong into a pole and uh, really had kind of wrapped itself around that pole. And so, of course, he immediately pulled over his cruiser. He uh, came down the bank of the hill. He came to the door of the car as quickly as he could. And, and as he looked into the car, he recognized that all four of the people in the car had been completely knocked out with the impact. He thought, how in the world am I going to figure out what took place here? How am I going to, to figure out the events that led to this wreck actually happening? And, and so he was contemplating that. And as he began to turn away from the door, he noticed movement inside the car. He looked back, and the movement that he'd seen, he looked down in between the, uh, the two seats there, there was a, the front seats, there was a monkey. And he thought, you know, I mean, I've heard some monkeys can be pretty smart. So he thought, maybe this monkey can help me. So he decided, as crazy as it sounds, to try to have a dialogue with this monkey. And so he looked in there and he said, Mr. Monkey. He pointed at the driver. He said, what was he doing when the wreck happened? And the monkey said, uh-huh. And he said, oh, he was drinking when the wreck happened. No wonder we had a wreck. And he looked over at the mom and wife. He said, well, what was she doing when the wreck happened? And the monkey said, uh-huh. He said, oh, she was nagging her husband, and he was drinking, and no wonder we have a wreck. And he pointed in the backseat at the two kids. He said, what were they doing when the wreck happened? The monkey said, huh? 
He said, wow, what a car. I mean, they're fighting in the back seat. She's nagging in the front seat. Uh, he's drinking. I mean, no wonder we had a wreck. He turned around to start filling out his report, and all of a sudden the thought hit him. He turned back. He said, Mr. Monkey, what were you doing when the wreck happened? And the monkey said, er? It's kind of a silly story, isn't it? I tell it from, for this reason, though. The reality is that if we are not sober about the mission that God has given us to be on as a church, as families, and as individuals, then we end up in a place where we have a whole lot of nagging and a whole lot of fighting, usually the brethren, and we end up with all that taking place and the monkeys are driving rather than the leadership that God put in place, whether it's the home or whether it's the church. And what happens is we end up in a place where we're fighting the brethren and we're fighting those who really are not the enemy and there's all this uh, frustration that begins to come in and all of this this being sidetracked by things that really are not the mission that God put us on. But when we are sober about the mission, when we are laser-focused on that which God has given us to accomplish, then all of a sudden, we have a reason, we have a purpose, and we can move with purpose throughout this life. We can avoid many of the wrecks in life simply by being on mission to the mission that God has given. And so as we jump into this tonight, and we will move quickly, but I want to encourage us, and I don't preach this in any way as a thought of, you're not doing this. Because it's evident as we look around, you have a heart for missions. You have a heart to win people to Christ here in your area. It's evident, uh, even just being in the church for a few minutes, that you have a heart for those things and that you're striving to make a difference for the cause of Christ. Uh, But really it comes to this, as an individual, am I laser focused on exactly the mission that God has for my life? And that's really what Paul is challenging Timothy. That's what he's going to charge him with here. He writes to him, and, and we're going to start at the bottom of the passage, basically, and work our way back up. But as Paul writes to him, he says, Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. Timothy, it's time for me to pass from the scene of this life. And, and, and as he writes to him, and I believe maybe the Holy Spirit inspired this letter and this writing to go to Timothy in part because... Timothy is the one who is, in many senses, going to step into the role that the Apostle Paul has filled. He's going to become one of the leaders of the first century church. He's going to become someone who who his whole life has been able to lean on Paul, but now he's not going to have that. He's going to have to really step into a whole new role in a whole new realm. I'm very thankful for my pastor. You met my uh, pastor that is our home pastor and uh, on the video, Brother Westberg, and we're very thankful for him. He's my best friend in the world, and I'm thankful for him. But there's another man that I call my pastor as well, and uh, Brother Dave is his name. That's what he likes to be called. And uh, Brother Dave is my pastor, and I call him my pastor because he's the man who trained me in the ministry. And I had the privilege of being his assistant pastor in Leavenworth, Kansas. I was telling some men a little while ago, we spent eight years in Leavenworth. And most people spend eight years in Leavenworth. That's a real bad thing. Amen. But uh, it was a good thing for us. We're thankful for that. And uh, we were two and a half years on staff and then uh, five and a half years as the pastor of the church there in Leavenworth, Kansas. And those two and a half years, my pastor, Brother Dave, trained me in the ministry. And man, what a blessing to have a pastor to be able to call. I remember when I first uh, became a pastor and 
things would happen, and I'd call Brother Dave, and I'd say, hey, Brother Dave, I've got this situation going on. How would you handle this? And usually it was a real simple thing for him because he'd been in the ministry for 25 years or so. And, and so he would say, well, you know, this is how I would handle that. And here's some things you need to be aware of. And, and here's some caution along the line as you're dealing with that. And, and what a help it was to be able to call. And I would call him and he always knew the answers. He always had the right way of being able to handle everything because he'd been through it. And that was a blessing. And then I called him one day and I said, what do we do with COVID? And he said, I have no clue. And so until then, it worked real good, amen? But uh, none of us knew with that. And, and so we, uh, but, I, but what a blessing to have my pastor I can call. Timothy's always had that. If he ran into something he really couldn't handle, he always could, whether it was send a messenger, go himself, send a letter. I don't know exactly what it was, uh, but Timothy would have a way. He had a lifeline to the Apostle Paul, and, and, and the way we might say it, if he were to call, Paul would always take his call. Uh, he was always available to Timothy. That's not going to be there anymore. And that relationship is coming to an end. As Paul writes to Timothy here, in essence, what he's doing, again, if we could maybe use the terminology we might use today, we might say it this way, Paul is writing to Timothy, and in this passage, he's passing the torch. He's saying, Timothy, it's time for you to carry the torch. Hey, Timothy, you are being handed the torch of responsibility with the gospel message. You are being handed the torch. Timothy, I can't help you with it any longer. It's time for me to go to heaven, and there's a reward for me there. But Timothy, you're still going to be in this earth, and it's time for you to carry the torch, and it's time for you to press forward in a way you've never had to until now. And he passed, uh, Paul passed the torch to Timothy, and, and Timothy carried the torch well. We can see that. And then the day came where Timothy eventually had to pass the torch to the next generation. And as we look back through church history, really what we see is the passing of that torch of responsibility with the message of the gospel from one generation to another generation to another generation, all the way down through. And we recognize tonight that very same torch as we sit here in 2023 at Hillside Baptist Church, that same responsibility with the gospel message has been placed firmly in our hands today, that it is our duty and our responsibility to carry the torch and to reach our culture with the message of the gospel. The same gospel that Timothy had, the same gospel that Paul preached, it's the same gospel that we have a responsibility with today. So the first thing that I see tonight is the torch that we carry, the responsibility of carrying the torch. I see not only tonight the torch that we carry, but then secondly, I see the turbulence in our culture. Look at what Paul says to him, verse number three. He says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. He writes to him, and, and maybe Timothy gets this letter, and, and maybe he was sitting, I don't know, I picture him at a desk, probably it wouldn't have been exactly, but that's how I picture it. And, and so maybe he's sitting there at his desk in his office, and he pulls out the manuscript, and he's reading through it, and he reads, uh, Timothy, the time is coming. They will not endure sound doctrine, and they'll heap to themselves teachers. And maybe he sat back in his chair and said, whew, praise the Lord, we don't have to deal with that in our day. That's coming someday but I really don't think so. Because the things we see today were already really there in the first century. Some have, have extended, but they were already there, the seeds of them at the very least. And, and I really think as Timothy would have seen something like this, 
Perhaps his mind went back to what we would know as Acts chapter 19. You can read it later. But in Acts chapter 19, it's the story of the planting of the church at Ephesus. And Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And Timothy was a part of the team that helped to plant that church. And they came in to Ephesus, and it's an incredible chapter. It's filled with victory. They came in, they spent a couple of years preaching the gospel, and I mean, people were being saved, lives were being changed, people were being baptized. Wouldn't that be exciting? I mean, to be in a church that it's a first century church, nobody's really ever been to a city with the gospel before, and now you come in, you're part of a team that's planning a church, and people are being saved, and, and, and they're, they're being baptized. Isn't it exciting now when somebody's saved? Yeah, there's nothing that excites a church more, or at least shouldn't be, than when somebody's saved, and, and, and except for maybe when they get baptized. <laughs> because now they're not just saved, but they're being obedient. They're following. And, and then maybe if there's one other step, it'd be when their life starts to change. Because they are saved, and they're baptized, and now they're becoming a disciple of Christ. They're, they're changing into his image. It's thrilling, and it's wonderful. So you think about Timothy, he's seeing all this and their lives are changing and it was exciting to be a part of this church plant here in Ephesus. And then you remember in the chapter there were those people, they were called there, they were called the silversmiths. If you remember the silversmiths, you remember they were a problem. The silversmiths were men of great wealth. Not only were they men of great wealth, but as they've excavated the ruins of Ephesus, they found placards and things of that nature that speak to their great political power. This is shocking because we don't deal with stuff like this in the United States of America, but way back there in first century Ephesus, there were people that would actually do wicked and wrong things for money. Can you believe that? <laughs> and not only that, there were people that would do wicked and wrong things for political power. Aren't you glad we don't deal with that in America today? And all of this was taking place in Ephesus. And their money and their political power was all tied to the silver idols that they made that represented the goddess Diana. And now these people are getting saved and they're starting to grow in Christ and they're saying, wait a minute, we don't need these little idols anymore. Because we don't need some little piece of metal that represents a goddess who's not even real. We have a personal relationship with the real God of heaven and we speak to him in prayer and he speaks to us through his word and we have a relationship with him. And it's wonderful. And so they started taking their little idols and they started throwing them out. And man, wouldn't that be exciting if you're Timothy and if you're Paul and if you're Luke? And, but that wasn't very exciting if you're the silversmith. So you remember they started going through town and they started saying, listen, these people have come in with another teaching and, and they've come in with, with all this stuff. They're trying to change us and it's all corrupt. And, and they began to spread these lies and it began as really kind of a murmur in the streets. And before long, it swelled a little more and before long, it became uh, almost riotous. And, uh, riotous and, and then it began that it became an actual riot. It filled the entire Colosseum, the second largest in the world, second only to Rome in that time. And they filled the entire Colosseum and they began to chant and jeer, Diana is the goddess of the Ephesians! Diana is the goddess of the Ephesians! Until eventually the city clerk had to come out and say, hey, we better settle this thing down because if we don't settle this thing down, Rome's going to come settle it down. We don't want that. And I wonder if Timothy's mind, when Paul said they're going to reject sound doctrine, I wonder if he didn't go, oh yeah, I've seen that. I watched as they went through the streets and they told lies to reject sound doctrine, the gospel of Christ, and I saw a city reject sound doctrine. And I've seen some of those things. 
Paul writes to Timothy, there's turmoil in their culture in the first century. But as we read this today, don't we recognize the increase of some of these things as we look even in our own culture? He says to him, Timothy, there's going to be a rejection. First of all, the first part of this, there's going to be a rejection of doctrine. They will not endure sound doctrine. We see that in our culture today. And as we look at it today, we can look in the culture of the United States of America and we can say, you know what, we are watching an increase of doctrine being rejected. Really, doctrine is truth when we're referring to the Word of God. And so we see a rejection of truth in the culture in which we live today. As a matter of fact, we live in a culture now that many of the heathen cultures of the past would look at us and say, how in the world did you get to where you are? How do you believe some of the things you're believing? We live in a culture that has completely rejected doctrine. But not only that, we've rejected doctrine, uh, or, or there will be a rejection of doctrine. They will not endure sound doctrine. The next step, he says, there will be a reception of delight. He says they will heap to themselves teachers after their own lusts. It's going to be about what do I want, what do I want to hear. A few years ago, if we were to look at kind of the thought process of the United States of America, probably the tagline that would have represented our nation would be this, what's right for you is right for you, what's right for me is right for me. You heard that before? That was kind of the idea. Hey, it's okay if you don't agree with me, just don't tell me you don't agree with me. Just let me live how I want to live, you go live how you want to live, and we'll be fine. But that's no longer the case today. Today, if we were to look at maybe the tagline of the United States of America, it would be this, you must approve of me. And you must approve of whatever I think, whatever I decide, whatever I identify as. You must not only not disagree, you must approve of me. Why? Because we see a nation that is heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears. I only will receive what makes me happy. It's about me. It's about my delight. And you have to approve of what makes me happy. And that's the culture we live in today. We live in a culture today that has so rejected truth. And, and there was a day where there was some mocking of it and laughing about it and, and jokes and things of that nature. And we all have realized it's not a joking matter. It's not a funny thing. We live in a nation today that has come to the place where we literally cannot figure out the difference. And I'm talking about as a whole between male and female. Isn't it a sad time? Heathen nations of the past would look and say, how do you come to that place? And yet, that's where we are because we've rejected truth. Now we live in a day where I receive delight only what makes me happy. And then we see, not, not only that, but this is where we really uh, finalize and where we are now as a nation, we see the reassurance of duplicity. It says not only that they heap to themselves teachers, it's after their own lust, but it says they heap to themselves these teachers. In other words, everyone must align with it. Everyone must approve of it. And anyone who doesn't is considered to be hateful. We live in a nation that is uh, in grave danger because we have carried out exactly what it says right here. We live in a, nat uh, a nation that is in tumult. We live in a nation uh, that is so divided. And it's because we've heaped to ourselves teachers after our own lusts, we've rejected truth. And that's where we are now. 
And so, uh, as a matter of fact, we heard recently about a school, a high school, that they put uh, in the restrooms, they put kitty litter boxes so that students who identify as a cat will have somewhere to be able to use the restroom. It's a sad day. And the reality is that's happening because our culture is saying, you must approve of me completely. We have young people that have no clue what truth is, and they are begging for somebody to say, here's what's true, here's what's real, here's what's right. By the way, (laughs) we have all those answers right here. But we live in a world that's desperate to know them. And we live in a world that in many ways is rejecting this truth. So here's what Paul writes to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, you have a torch to carry. Your torch that you must carry in the culture you live in is the responsibility of the message of the gospel. You must take the truth of the gospel message into the culture that you live and impact that culture with the gospel. But Timothy, you live in a culture that's rejecting truth. They don't want anything to do with truth. So here's the question for Timothy. Here's the question for us tonight. If our responsibility is to take the truth of the gospel message and impact our culture, and yet our culture is saying, we don't want anything to do with truth, we're rejecting that and even fighting against that, how do we take the truth of the gospel and impact a culture that's rejecting truth? Kind of a quandary, isn't it? You have this responsibility, but they don't want it. And the only thing that we have to fight against the rejection of truth is truth itself. We have no other weapon. We have no other manner. There's nothing else that we have other than the truth of the Word of God. So how do we take truth and impact a culture that's rejecting truth? And that's what Paul gives Timothy an answer to here. So notice as we come back to the beginning, Paul started with the answer and worked into the problem. We've started with the problem. Now let's see the answer. He tells him back in verse number one, I charge thee therefore, now notice who he charges him before, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, Timothy, I'm charging you before Jesus. He is God, amen? I'm charging you before him. I'm charging you before Jesus. In other words, he is the witness of the charge that I am giving you. Then he goes on and he says, who, Jesus, shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing in his kingdom. So if we have a courtroom setting, Paul says, hey, Timothy, the witness of the charge is Jesus. And guess who the judge is in this courtroom? He's going to judge the quick and the dead. It's Jesus. Pretty good when the judge is your key witness. Amen? He says, here's the judge. It's Jesus. He's the one who's going to judge it all. Hey, here's the witness of the charge. It's Jesus. The charge is to carry the gospel into the culture around us. It's really all about him. Because then he says in verse number two, the subject of this courtroom is him as well. Preach the word. So here's what he's saying. Hey, Timothy, you live in a culture that is in need of truth and rejecting truth. The only thing you have to use is the truth. So Timothy, here's what you need to do. Go preach the word. And in essence, what he's saying to him is, Timothy, remember who's the judge. And remember, he's the witness of the charge I'm giving you to carry the truth into that culture. And remember, he's the subject which we are to preach. Timothy, remember the transcendence of Christ. 
You have a torch to carry. There is turbulence in your culture, but Christ is still transcendent. He's still over it all. He's still above it all. He's still in control of it all. He is not sitting in heaven trying to figure out what are we going to do with the little United States of America. He is in perfect control of it all tonight, and he is perfectly at rest and at peace. Oh, he wants revival, and he wants his people to do our job and to be sober about the mission he's given, but he's not stressing out about it. He's the God of heaven and he's in perfect control. And so he writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, in a culture rejecting truth, what do you do with the truth? Here's what you do, Timothy. Go preach it. Go tell them. Hey, Timothy, don't try to figure out some new means. Don't try to figure out some way to entertain the world to get them to come in so that you can give them the gospel. Don't try to figure out how to mesh with the world. Don't try to figure out how to fit in with the world. Timothy, here's one thing you must do. Just go preach the word. When you're in the highways and byways, preach the word. When you're in the streets, preach the word. When you go to the grocery store, preach the word. When you get your coffee, preach the word. And wherever you go, whatever you do, go preach the word. And that's what Paul would say to us tonight. Don't try to sit around figuring out how do we mesh together with this world. Don't try to come up with some new thing. And it's okay to use some new ideas. We use a video. They didn't have those in the first century. Amen. It's not that we can't use any new means, but he's saying don't try to come up with some better way than just taking the truth of the word of God and preaching it to the people. So Timothy, everywhere you go, everything you do, must be centered on preaching the word. We understand he was speaking to a preacher. He's telling him, Timothy, when you get up on Sunday, preach the word. Timothy, when you get up on Wednesday night, preach the word. Timothy, when you get up any other time, preach the word, wherever you go, whatever you do. But we also understand the word of God is not just for a preacher. There's application for all of us. So by application, Paul's saying to all of us as a believer, don't get sidetracked from getting this message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the world around you. You must be sober about that mission because that is the mission that God has given to take the gospel to every creature Oh, what a blessing for your pastor to be in the Philippines and helping to get the gospel to Filipino people. But what a blessing while he's there, you're still here getting the gospel to people here in this community. And we have a responsibility with this message to get it to the culture around us. The reality is it looks a little different for all of us. Uh, for our family right now, carrying our torch Looks like going to Kansas City on a big scale, going to Kansas City and planting Fountain City Baptist Church. That's not what it looks like for you, though. As a matter of fact, if God calls you to plant a church in Kansas City, at least name it something other than Fountain City. Amen? It's not God's plan for you to plant Fountain City Baptist Church in Kansas City. So what does it look like for you this week, this month, this year? What does it look like for you to preach the word? It may be one of the most difficult places I believe we preach the word of God, that we get the gospel, is in our own family. It may be there's somebody in your family that this year you need to get the gospel to them. There may be somebody in your family that's told you, don't talk to me about that stuff anymore. But God's putting it on your heart one more time. You need to find a way to either have a conversation, maybe it's sitting down and, and penning a letter, you need to get the gospel to that person. Oh, that's a hard place. 
but it's needed. It may be for you preaching the gospel is as simple as this week baking a plate of cookies and taking them to a new neighbor in your neighborhood and handing them a plate of cookies and say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. And by the way, here's an invitation to our church. We have some Easter services on Sunday and we just want you to know there's a church that loves you in this community. We're so glad you're here. If there's any way we can be a blessing, we'd sure love to. Just trying to get to the gospel, trying to invite them to come hear it preached here. It may be that it's real difficult. It may be that for you, carrying your torch is real easy this week. I don't know what it looks like for you. Here's what I do know. You have a torch to carry. There's someone God wants you to get the gospel to. So the question really is this. Will you carry your torch in the midst of this turbulent culture because you recognize Christ is still transcendent? He's above it all. He's in control of it all. And he's given us one primary mission. Preach the word. What does it look like for you to carry your torch this week? Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?